this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Good morning. This week, House Republicans are voting on legislation to restore our constitutional rights and freedoms after two long years of Democrats' COVID-19 power grab policies. The extended COVID lockdowns, like the ones we saw in my home state of New York, caused irreparable damage to our children's development, financial strain on our small businesses, and unnecessary deaths among our most vulnerable seniors due to former disgraced Governor Andrew Cuomo's deadly and fatal nursing home order. Under the guise of COVID-19, Democrats' authoritarian policies weaponized the federal government, forced unconstitutional vaccine mandates, and cost hundreds of billions in waste and abuse of Americans' hard-earned taxpayer dollars. This week, House Republicans will pass a bill that will force the federal government to acknowledge what the American people already know, the pandemic is over. In addition, the Freedom for Healthcare Workers Act will end the unconstitutional COVID-19 vaccine mandates that cost our healthcare workers who bravely served on the front lines in the wake of the pandemic. They, it cost them their livelihoods and caused a crisis of staffing shortages nationwide. House Republicans will also pass the Show Up Act. Americans across the country show up to work every day. There is no reason why federal employees should not be held to the same standard. House Republicans will deliver on our promises to hold Democrats accountable for their failed COVID-19 policies. And as the conference chair, every week we are highlighting one of our newly elected freshman members. And I'm honored to introduce our next speaker, Laura Lee, newly elected from Florida's 15th district. Hi. My name is Retzef Levy, and since 2006, I'm a faculty member at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I have more than 30 years of experience as a practitioner and an academic in using data and analytics to assess and manage risk, particularly in the context of health systems, health policies, as well as the management of safety and quality of manufacturing of biologic drugs. I'm filming this video to share my strong conviction that at this point in time, all COVID mRNA vaccination program should stop immediately. Gentleman from Kentucky is recognized. As the second sponsor of this bill, uh, I'm very excited to see it moving here in Congress. It is long overdue. And the other side of the aisle walked into this room tonight fully prepared to be diametrically opposed to it. But the administration threw him a curveball. The administration is in full retreat at this moment. And so they have to retreat with the administration. Uh, I believe the administration would not have done this tonight. I mean, if you think it's a coincidence, I think you're a coincidence theorist. Uh, it, is, it is no coincidence that the, while we were debating these very measures, the executive branch went into full retreat on this. They're trying to, they're actually trying to save, I think, the other side of the aisle from taking a tough vote, giving the, saving some face so that they can vote against it because, well, the timing's not right. And then there was the argument made tonight 
on this bill and the one preceding it that does something similar, that uh, we should wait until we have committees formed. The American people cannot wait another week. They cannot wait another day. Livelihoods have been ruined. So many people have suffered because this has gone on too long. The, the president said, what was it, uh, to CBS 60 Minutes months ago, that the pandemic is over. And now he's saying, well, we need just 60 more days, 60 more days to pull this off. Now that you all have this idea that we should end it, I think I'll end it and I need 60 days. I, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Larson, the president in his statement of administrative policy says he needs 60 days. He wants to uh, uh, honor his previous commitment to give at least 60 days notice prior to termination. Why, does, why is he then going to go 100 days from now to do it? What's the... Uh, haven't spoke to the president about that. My guess is that since the uh, national emergency uh, order signed by the previous president was on March 13, 2020, that about 60 days from March 13th is around May 11th, and that'd be my only speculation. I was, so, so, I'll I was, a, so I'll give it a try. I'm trying to. I, uh, I see that the, uh, the things are going to expire on March 1st and April 11th. So if he's going 60 days from April 11th, April, help me out here. Mr. Chair, I, I wasn't told there would be math. April, <laughs> April May, June. 60 days from April 11th be June 11th, I think, maybe June 10th. And then uh, March 1st, 60 days from that, be a April, be May 1st. So I don't know. I'm having a problem with the math. I don't, I don't think this has ever been about math. I don't think it's ever been about science. I think it's been about politics. And I would just say, you know, we don't need to beat a, a dead horse. And these, all these mandates and all these emergency things, they're dead. But... Elections have consequences. If you're watching this tonight or you watch the vote tomorrow and you see that the White House is in full retreat on this issue, it's because he's lost the confidence of the American people on this issue and he knows it. We should have had a vote on this, on this emergency. We should have a vote on the, and I know your topic's not the mandates, but we talked about it tonight. We should have had, Congress should have been voting on this. We should have been having hearings, but we couldn't have them. And so uh, forgive us, Mr. Chairman, please, if, and ranking member, if it seems like we're moving too quickly because the American people think we're moving too slowly. And I would suggest that these bills probably don't. Okay. The, the, right there, we had um, Harvard versus MIT. We had Elise Stefanik at a press conference today. And, of course, the, this professor with this very controversial bomb he dropped from MIT. and Thomas Massey. And Massey's a little um, not quite your typical congressman, but he's probably got the biggest brain up there. He's also from MIT. So f to, to help me sort it all out and for the audience, we asked, we, we reached out to Yale and we got uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf. Dr. Wolf, I can't think of a better person that could actually think this through and, 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 and weigh and measure it and tell us what's going on, given your political acumen, your uh, professional career in uh, in messaging and media and all the work you've done uh, in about the vaccine, about the mandates, about all of it. And you have been saying this now, I don't know, for a couple of years. Why do we still have this emergency 
while we still have these emergency powers, is Thomas Massey, as you get into your analysis for us, is Thomas Massey, and I understand you've got other big breaking news coming out of your research, which I think only reiterates and reinforces what's happening. Is Thomas Massey right here, are they doing this uh, because they've lost the confidence in the American people and they're still trying to stretch it out as long as they can get it? And as Biden, uh, as Biden understands that the Democrats and the guys in the House understand that if, if the executive branch has lost confidence in their judgment on this, the American people are losing confidence. It's time to uh, cut and run, ma'am. Uh, look, if this was about the confidence of the American people, this announcement would have been a year and a half ago or more. It doesn't have much to do with the American people. Um, we're not coming up for an election. The elections were decided. It's not 2024. Uh, there are other things going on. Um, I mean, you showed a lot there. And let me just sort through it briefly. First, there was... Um, Elise Stefanik's very, very good speech. And I'm supposed to be nonpartisan, but just as a political consultant formerly and as an American citizen, I've got to give her like a 95% on that. Um, And she hit every issue. And these should be thematic central issues for people from any party running for re-election. People lost jobs. Our kids were hurt. Um, our elder people died alone. Uh, there's there's no reason for it. And I also love the, like, get back to work law or whatever it is they're calling it, you know, show up law. Um, that's going to resonate really, really well. Um, and she delivered it correctly, which is this is not a time, this shouldn't be a time for partisan gloating. This shouldn't be a time for tit for tat or I told you so. A horrible, horrible thing has happened to the United States of America. It's happened to all of us, whatever our political party, whether we're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether we're healthy or ill, it's happened to all of us. So I much prefer her approach um, to the the, the approach of, you know, well, you know, ha, 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 you know, you, you guys lost and, you know, we're right. Um, all that being said, let's move on to uh, the MIT guy. Um, that also doesn't have to do with the will of the American people, and it doesn't have to do with science. Here we've got a chessboard, right? And all of these people are scrambling to the place on the chessboard where basically you and I, this audience, and six other people who were constantly having their medical licenses taken away, constantly being told called conspiracy theorists, were standing. And now everyone's saying, well, this is the new mainstream. I'm right here. I've always been right here. I, yes, indeed, the, you know, the emergency is over. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm fully declaring that the emergency is over. Okay. Why does that happen? It could have happened when there was no emergency, right? I mean, I saw, I saw, uh, data for deaths in the depth of the pandemic that showed that, Nothing very unusual was happening, right? It could have, it could have happened after it was established that young adults and children, you know, weren't at serious risk of serious outcomes from this disease. They could have gone back to school. We could have lifted the state of emergency in every single state. Um, and 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 also, let me remind you that a state of emergency is never necessary for a 
a horrible illness. You know, there weren't states of emergency declared nationally with AIDS. There wasn't a state of emergency declared nationally with tuberculosis. Um, you don't have to declare a state of emergency for a a, a respiratory illness or, or other kinds of illnesses. It's a very, like, you declare a state of emergency during the Civil War, right? Or when you've been, you know, or, or, or when you immediately have been hit with, um, you know, incoming and you don't know why and the Twin Towers have fallen down. That's when you're supposed to declare a state of emergency. And it's always supposed to be limited and it's always supposed to be subject to review. And why do I say this? Because, you know, having studied states of emergency Tyrants love, love, love states of emergency, and they love fear, and they love states of emergency because they, it, they're they the opposite of democracy. They suspend normal democracy, and they like to keep them going forever and ever and ever and ever. And so what I will say is that, you know, n not a moment too soon, right? Of course, obviously, and that's why you showed that clip, the kind of niggling about, well, is the state of emergency over today, Tuesday, or is it going to be over on May 11th for some mysterious, you know, cabalistic reason that no one can understand? Um, I mean, yes, that's hilarious and tragic that there's no reason it shouldn't happen now. If the emergency is over, it's over. If it shouldn't be over till May 11th, it shouldn't be over. There should be some rational basis for it being declared and for it being ended. But even so, um, you know, I'm not celebrating because A, and I'm sorry, Steve, but I will just say this, you know, states all over this country continued and 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 re-upped and re-upped a state of emergency. And they had Republicans and they, in some cases, they had Repub Republican governors. I'm sitting in Massachusetts right now, a Republican governor kept the state of emergency going in Massachusetts when nothing was out of the ordinary uh, in any dramatic way. Over and over, he closed small businesses, he closed restaurants, he closed schools, he forced children into masks. He, you know, all of that happened under Republican leadership. And, and in many states where there was pushback, um, it wasn't necessarily that partisan. It took state legislators who cared about liberty to often get together to end the state of emergency. So if you guys were that concerned about the state of emergency, you know, the Republican leadership should have told Republican governors across the country at any point in the last three years to end the darn state of emergency. Um, and they didn't do it. So I'm glad I'm glad this messaging is happening. You know, I hope the bill passes. I don't know the status of it. But honestly, I don't want the people watching this to think, oh, okay, you know, we're ending the state of emergency in May. Um, I guess, you know, one side or the other did better at, at, at pushing to end the state of emergency. Because if you think like that, they're just going to roll out the state of emergency again. And what I do want to remind everyone is that the, the initial manipulations of the idea of emergency and state of emergency were, were uh, developed into an art form in the um, Bush Jr. era. So don't think you're out of the woods just because, you know, thank God one team has realized that, you know, American people are sick of this and want it to be done with. And, and they're free enough of whatever nefarious interest uh, from China and Bill Gates, you know, may be to allow them to make this declaration. Because if we don't resist and say, 
you know what? My state constitution doesn't let you do that or we're going to change the law the way they did in New Hampshire so that no governor can ever extend and extend a state of emergency again without assembly approval, right? And we're trying to do this in New York state as well. This has to be done in every state across the country and it has to be done federally. I'm not going to cheer that law until I see a proviso in there that you cannot extend the state of emergency without congressional approval. If that's there, then I'm on board. Uh, by the way, I think that was brilliant. And it, absolutely, you're correct. Uh, the particularly more the, the more that their establishment, like in Massachusetts and Sununu up New Hampshire, the the worse it's been. What is it? it, it granted, they would want to extend this forever. In fact, think about it. You talked about this over two years ago that yeah. e- extending these emergency powers were, was absurd, and there was no data or science that that backed it up. And you just made a very compelling case. Understand that they still want to do it because in that power, he's got the student loan. It's all types of things that they're they're running. In fact, today on, on MSNBC Afternoon is because there's also emergency payments go. They say, hey, your life's going to be affected because these payments are not going to be there. What was it in your mind that proved to the guys who want to continue to extend it that, hey, maybe we can eke another 100 days out of this, but by May the game is up. Well, what, what in your mind? What is it that you think driving that driving the two is basically the American people are awakened to this now? Do you think that's what what ultimately did? Why would Biden, who they love these emergency powers, and you're right, this is not a Democrat or Republican thing. The Republican certain elements of the Republican Party, the non MAGA part, loves it too. What do you think in this case, the specific case, drove the regime to basically say uh, we got another hundred days and and let's just let's just go. Um, well, I think it's really interesting that MIT is in there too. I think it's so interesting that Newsweek came out with a big essay saying, well, maybe the, you know, maybe the public health reaction was wrong and we should say sorry. Um, and they should have said it sooner. Um, it's, it's super interesting that it's all happening. MIT is of course in the heart of the badness, right? It's, it's kind of gone largely unscathed and uninvestigated, but so much that's wrong, that was wrong, that was complicit in the uh, COVID pandemic, the COVID response, the messaging um, came from Johns Hopkins, from Bloomberg, from Harvard, and from MIT. And so I think that people are really scared of what will emerge um and I feel it, right? I feel the loss of mojo on my, in my former tribe, right? The the confident quasi-socialist, you know, haranguers of others are are kind of sheepish and quiet right now. Um, and I, I think people are scared of a, a Republican majority that will demand disclosure of horrible, horrible, horrible things that have been done over the last two and a half years. Um, I think that clearly uh, President Biden has a giant target on his back. I mean that metaphorically um, from the DNC because he made the mistake of saying he was going to run for president again. And so now the DNC and the Democrats and the Democratic establishment and the Democratic donors are trying to sideline him, incapacitate him, frame him, uh, besmirch him, smear him. Um, and the the Democrat and pharma aligned media are are going along with that. So he is unprotected. And when a president is unprotected, other people 
back away from him. Um, you even saw the Democrat um, trying to kind of explain the nonsensical timeline, creating a little distance between himself and the administration. Um, you're going to see that more and more. I think people are really afraid of 2024. I think they are really afraid. I'm just going to say this. You know, tr Trump has been cleverly not that aggressively intrusive as a candidate. And um, meanwhile, DeSantis is ringing up one victory after another in public opinion, one victory after another in public opinion. And I think people also watch the performance of Carrie Lake and other really strong women like uh, Christy Nome um, on the Republican side. And so even though all of the media is still trying to call every Republican a QAnon-aligned racist transphobe, um, I think enough independents and Democrats are looking around and thinking, this this is a this is a hellhole here on on the left. I don't want to live like this. I don't want my kids to live like this. Are these people all crazy QAnon racist transphobes? This guy seems pretty sensible over here in Florida. This woman in South Dakota is making sense. This woman in Arizona is tough and you know making her case and taking it to the courts. Um, and and I I I think that all of this is creating kind of a a perfect storm you know, your team respectfully is perfectly capable of messing it up. I mean, I, I've seen them, you know, ruin perfect alignments, just like our team has ruined perfect alignments. But all of this um, creates a situation in which no one wants to be near the president who's being metaphorically, um, I don't want to say stabbed to death or bundled out of the room because I'll get in trouble, but I mean it metaphorically. Like it's literally like that, right? When a principal is targeted for being smeared or leaked about or done away with, it, it's like he's got, you know, uh, cholera or or bubonic plague, and and um, and then the principal is like, oh, no one likes me anymore. No one's protecting me. Everyone's abandoning me. The donors are abandoning me. Um, I, you know, I'm going to be investigated. I, I have these documents. We don't know what's in the documents. I don't. Um, you know, there's there's the there's the laptop. I better throw the American people a bone. And then I'm sure he's getting calls from, you know, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party saying, you know, dude, we had you. We, we were friends. You owe us. You know, you can't just, um, you know, set these people free. Now in February, you have to wait until May at least. And by then we may have figured something else out. So that's my analysis of the many currents going on on the chessboard right now. One of the things that's been evident is that, uh, and I know the New York Times, other people are, are are now getting around this about how big the vax is and the anti-vax movement, even from people who were never the vaccine hesitant movement, uh, you know, aligning with the anti-vax. A big part of that has been your group and, and your research. I know you've got, and we, we could have you on every day because you've got another report coming out that when you read it, it makes your head blow up. So yeah. walk us, because I think that has a big thing to do with it, of people awakening to the fact of who's actually telling me the right information. I got professors right. at MIT are saying this now, but where'd he get this from? Where's he coming from? The power of this, what I think when the history of this is written, it will be truly the first time a populist, a broad-based populist revolt against the big pharma apparatus actually took place. And it was obviously led by you and Amy Kelly and others that you need these organizers and leaders. But yeah. it was really 
a group of people, thousands of people that put their shoulders and got into documents that we weren't supposed to see for 75 years and really went to town. And that was that has been a huge thing on just changing the narrative. Naomi Wolf. Yeah, you know, I I didn't mention that, but I I think you're you're right Um, here. You know, we've been out in print for almost two weeks. No lawsuits, no lawyer's letter has come to us. Um, no denial from Pfizer. Um, n- no one has even issued any blog finding any problem with these 50 reports that, that detail that the people manufacturing something that the president of the United States told everyone would keep them safe, keep them from dying, right? Keep them from killing their loved ones. Um, that's fully in the public arena now. It's been in the top 10 for a week on Kindle. It's certainly people who don't watch um, Fox News or War Room are downloading it or having it sent to them by their loved ones. That, you know, that thing we discussed yesterday about uh, the Pfizer War Room Daily Cloud uh, research reports book being number two most gifted on Kindle is really meaningful. It means a lot of people who watch CNN and you know, listen to NPR are, are getting this. And and it's 700 pages saying, you know, Pfizer didn't care about killing you. They were perfectly willing to kill you. They were perfectly willing to damage the hearts of your children. They were perfectly willing to make your granddaughter sterile um, or to, you know, make it impossible for your grandson ever to conceive. And, and I think also a factor I didn't mention is the Project Veritas expose, which is a bookend to the Pfizer book that we put out in terms of confirming the same thing. And there, everyone in America, like 20 million people, 30 million people by now, saw that this company that is so, was so much the crown jewel of the Democrats, right? The, the We got a, a vaccine in every arm, you know, biggest rollout in history, warp speed, right? You know, the, like President Biden wore Pfizer and Moderna like, you know, like like that was his magical kind of gift to the American people. Well, that turns out they turn out to be psychotic murderers, like on a global scale. Yes, we're doing game, gain of function. Sure, we're mutating viruses. What's wrong with that? You, you know, silly you. Why wouldn't you want to be a, a, a bacterium in our Petri dish? Um, so people are reeling. You know, this is horrifying. This is the stuff of like, I keep expecting to wake up from this, you know, but the bottom line is between these two cultural documents, you know, our book and the uh, 11 minute clip of this Pfizer executive um, basically boasting about gain of function research on us, um, people are horrified and it's thoroughly under the custody of that president. Um, So yeah, I think that's having an impact as well. Hang on one second. We want to hold you over through the break. I might add that uh, Pfizer, in the month of January, lost $43 billion in market cap, 15% drop, biggest since the financial crash of 2008. Short commercial break. Naomi Wolf back in the warm in a moment. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify? 
the air on board our Navy ships. Because of Viracleanse, advanced mineral technology goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness causing cold and flu viruses, including COVID. And Viracleanse is the new science in air purification. And now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy and flaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com. And use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. You also receive a free air quality monitor, plus fast, free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. Will the lack of a red wave during the midterms lead to a more emboldened Biden, more wasteful government spending, higher taxes, the deepening of inflation? And how do you protect your hard-earned savings from chaotic financial markets? The answer, by diversifying your retirement savings with real physical precious metals with Birch Gold Group. Text Bannon to 989898 for a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Birch Gold has almost 20 years' experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metal IRAs. Text Bannon to 989898 and claim your free, no-obligation info kit. Don't let the left devalue your savings. Own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account from Birch Gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands and thousands of satisfied customers. Text Bannon to 989898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. Take action. Use your agency. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Um, our guest is Naomi Wolf. By the way, I want everybody to go to cpac.org right now, uh, slash war room. Be $47 off the general emission price that gets you to the uh, everything you need to do, right? Uh, uh, all the uh, breakout rooms, the main stage also gets you to the live uh, broadcast. We're going to do Real America's Voice is going to be with all the big shows. We'll be doing war room there every day. I'll also be doing the afternoon show. We look forward to seeing everybody in at Turning Point. We had the live studio. It was incredible. We got to meet everybody. Uh, we also had CPAC Dallas. So you get to meet all the contributors. You get to meet uh, all the staff, everybody. And, of course, yours truly, which I love uh, shaking hands and meeting folks. So looking forward to it. March 1st through 4th, 47 bucks off. So go there today, cpac.org uh, slash war room. Naomi, I, I wanted to bring as a surprise. Actually, Cortez and I are going to do a little something tomorrow in the morning show where we do the capital markets. Pfizer has lost. $43 billion in value, uh, 15% uh, of the company's market <laughs> capitalization just in, the, just in the month of January. Well, it, it, it shouldn't be lost in you. The publication of your book, right? The Warren book <laughs> had a direct, right. you know, if the smart guys on the street, smart guys on the street would have done a short, would have shorted the heck of it when saw the book. <laughs> but you're right. To, but I want to be very specific. We only got a couple of minutes. I know we got to talk about your report, but I got to go back to your breakdown when when Pfizer came out with their response to the to the to the O'Keefe video, 
it did make you feel better. It actually, they kind of gave up the ghost. They, they basically occurred, oh, with our partners and our collaborators, which will be unnamed. If they had major partners and collaborators, they would have all been hung in that, in that, uh, they were all been listed in that press release. They basically said, yeah, we are doing gain of function and we're doing it throughout the world, uh, unwittingly to, and, and, you know, danger to indigenous people throughout the world. But hey, that's a tough break. Because we're Pfizer and you're not Naomi Wolf. Exactly. Yeah, I read it as a threat almost, um, just like I read Bill Gates saying, um, you know, there will be more pandemics. They're going to be worse. You know, he periodically comes out and kind of threatens the rest of the world and, and, and governments comply. So these absolutely are monsters. But what I'm about to read to you is it's it's the most shocking, the saddest, the most horrific of all the the reports is report number 54 and um unbelievably barbara garrett md joseph garrett md chris flowers md and Lori Britt, four of our distinguished volunteers for the war room daily cloud pfizer documents research analysis team found that infants and children under 12 were given the pfizer mrna covid quote-unquote vaccine seven months before pediatric approval, and 71% of those kids suffered serious adverse events. If that's not shocking enough, these adverse events occurred in only a three-month period starting on December 1st, 2020, and at a time when no pediatric dose of Pfizer product was approved for use at all in that time frame. Nonetheless, they illegally injected 61 children half of them under four years old with this injection. Um, and the, the doctors and the volunteer asked the question, what dose of Pfizer's mRNA vaccine was given to these children since no approved dose existed at that time? So important points in this report, a seven-year-old child experienced a stroke. Two children suffered facial paralysis. One infant had a kidney adverse event, either kidney injury or kidney failure. Of the 34 cases, 24 or 71% were classified as serious. Predominantly female patients were affected here too. 27 little girls or baby girls of 34 adverse event patients, and that's almost 80%. Table six reports 34 cases of use in pediatric individuals, but an additional 28 cases were excluded these are bad things, adverse events that happened unlawfully to children. 28 additional cases were excluded because details such as height and weight were, quote, not consistent with pediatric subjects. In other words, for nonsensical reasons, they, they, they ruled out almost double that number of kids who had something horrible happen to them. Ages ranged, I hope, you're, I hope, you, I hope you can process this, everyone, ages ranged from two months to nine years with median four years, which means half the children were under four years of age, 132 adverse events were reported in the 34 children. That is an average of 3.88 adverse events per child. In other words, not just facial paralysis, not just a stroke, not just some other horrible thing, an average of almost four horrible things. And, and these children 
half of them were under four years old. Some of one was a two month old infant. They injected this material in an infant in starting December 1st, 2020, when there was no approval for children. No law allowed children to be injected with this. There was no safe dose. They just injected the children and, and tiny babies, newborn babies practically. And, and this is what I have to share with you today. And it's called Report 54, Infants and Children Under 12 Given the Pfizer mRNA COVID Vaccine Seven Months Before Pediatric Approval. 71% suffered serious adverse events, and it's just live on dailycloud.io. I just sent it to Cameron. Um, this, uh, you know, I don't even have words to describe this. These people are, are absolute monsters. I, I want to have you on. We're going to figure a schedule out. We got to have you on tomorrow to go even more in detail. Just last question, and we got to bounce. But this information, this is what boggles my mind because they say, "Hey, we're the arsonists. We're trying to burn down the institutions." Did the FDA? Are you absolutely sure the FDA and the CDC had access to this information? That now it's twenty twenty three. The information you're right. talking about is from late twenty, early twenty one. Did the FDA and the CDC have access to this information, ma'am? Totally. The, the FDA had every single page. The FDA had every one of these documents, including this document, 5.3.6, cumulative analysis. They, they, It's theirs. Why do you think that now we know, right? Now we know why the FDA asked the court to keep this hidden for 75 years, because they gave a seven-year-old a stroke with a random, you know, dose of this experimental injection there was no safe dose for it. There was no law that allowed them to do it. They took 61 kids. Half of them had adverse events. Half of them were under four. And and, and one was a two-month-old baby. And, and I mean, and, and, and these kids averaged four horrible things happening to them. Um, so yeah, this, and also why are they, why are they suddenly saying the, the emergency is over? They know this is in there. They know this is in there. The White House knows this is in there, right? The chief of staff knows this is in there. That Rochelle Walensky knows this is in there. The people who probably don't know this is in there is the um, a, approval committee because they, they're not shown anything. But all of the agencies, FDA, CDC, the White House know they, they did this to the children. And then they rolled it out seven months later on your kids. It's unbelievable. Naomi, how do people get to the book? How do they get to your site? How do they get to all the great work Daily Cloud's doing, man? Oh, please go to Amazon, order it on Kindle, share it, gift it. It's so important. I, I really think keeping it in the bestseller list is helping us break through. And I do agree with, with Steve that that's, you know, shifting the momentum here. Um, please go to dailyclout.io. Uh, you can download a PDF there. If you can't afford to buy it, you can download each of the reports for free on dailyclout.io. And um, you can find me on Substack. You can also find um, Amy Kelly in the reports, additionally on Substack, behind the FDA curtain. And, uh, you know, it's just so important that you get the word out about this. But this one, this one, send this to everyone you know. This is a crime that cannot go unavenged. We will we will blow this out. And my uh, Cameron and the staff will work with you. We've got to get you back on tomorrow. Um, Naomi, thank you, as always. Thank you, Steve. Very Thank honored you. to be a part of the small part of that in this war and posse. Just incredible. Uh, Pasovic, I got Jack Pasovic by, by phone. And Jack, I want to talk to you about uh, Stalingrad. And we're going to have about 10 minutes to do that. And you're going to take it run with. But I got to ask you, given you and Tanya have two small, incredible uh, sons, uh, wh what is your sense when you hear about uh, when Naomi comes out every day with these different reports from the Pfizer documents? How does it strike you 
not with your political hat on or your 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 messaging hat and everything you do in media, but it just as a parent. You know, Steve, I got to tell you that um, when when all this came out with Pfizer and the vaccine, I remember going to Tanya Tay, and you know, Tanya, she's she's not necessarily you know political. Like I'm I'm a political creature, but she doesn't usually think that way. She doesn't. But and so there, there's some stuff. She's oh, it's a terrible story. It's a horrible story. But when they started rolling this thing out, and when they started saying that they were making it mandatory for these vaccines to come if you wanted to go to say, and we, and we live in the D.C. area, so the vaccine mandates were hard. There was a hard and fast in the D.C. area for a long time. She, I'm telling you, she turned into another mode. She went full mama bear. And she said, if anyone comes near my babies with that poison, they're going to have to go through me first. And I could see it in her eyes, Steve. I could see it that that look of you're not going to get my babies. You're not going to get my children. It's unbelievable. And, and, and what's come up every day is, is incredible. It's just incredible. And I think Tanya, I think that's an awakening of, of, of particularly women moms in this country have not been particularly oh, as yeah. Naomi talks about it. Either been center left Democrats, independents, not hardcore. And I know so many, I know dozens that are fire breathers on this. And every time Naomi puts out another report, they're going, okay, this is the New York Times. I can tell you is doing a story right now. I think we'll be quoted in it. This is a massive issue politically in this country. It's just a massive issue. And well, it's going to be dealt with. For, uh, for yeah. mothers is you're, you're, you're striking them, not in a, a, a political place. You're, this is hit, tapping into some of that deep biological that spiritual connection that only a mother can have with her children, this is something where I think they are dealing with forces that they have no idea what they've awakened. I want to get uh, you and Charlie on tomorrow. Talk about your your uh, event with Bolsonaro, but we'll do that tomorrow because I don't want to. This is the 80th anniversary of the of the surrender of the German army. And look, you come from a, you, you come from a Polish background. You've got obviously. Pasobic's a Polish name. Your your family's from there. Uh, Poland's part of the the bloodlands. Uh, what does it mean on the 80th anniversary? We had the Holocaust on Friday, Memorial Friday, but really the army that uh, eventually opened the camps. Some of them were by the American army, but most were by the Russian army. Uh, this day in history, the surrender of this notorious Sixth Army under Field Marshal uh, Paulus, surrendering at Stalingrad with only ninety one thousand. Soldiers left the best soldiers they had. Ninety-one thousand left over three hundred and twenty thousand man army. Only five thousand Jack ever made it back to Germany. Your thoughts on this 80th anniversary and what does it mean for the United States now, looking at this war in Ukraine? Well, Steve, people need to understand not only the the significance of that surrender, but also the scale of the fighting in Stalingrad. This was the first time that a German field army had ever surrendered in World War II. This was the very first time a German army had surrendered in the field under Paulus. And it was because Hitler had allowed, by the way, the encirclement of his troops because he was hell-bent on taking Stalingrad. Now, a lot of pop history will tell you, well, that's because of you know the name of Stalin and it was uh, significant. It doesn't, doesn't carry the name anymore, the way Leningrad and Stalingrad are now both respectively St. Petersburg and Volgograd. But you have to understand the geography of the area. If you understand the geography, then you 
it because geography is destiny in geopolitics. If you understand McKinder's world island theory and the heartland theory, this area of Volgograd, this is the heartland of Russia's heartland. Because guess what? Russia is not a sea power. They do not. They've never had a significant navy. They've never had the ability to power project uh, across across oceans the way the British or the Americans have been able to or the Japanese, uh, the way the Chinese are trying to do now. Russia has never been able to do it. They are a land power. So if you look, their strategic lands, if you combine and triangulate, really, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, and the Volga River, the exact, which is the central, that's the heartland river for Mississippi. Uh, you combine all of that, it all matches up to one spot, the city of Stalingrad. Germany, World Napoleon tried to, uh, they tried to take it as well in World War II. If you can cut Russia off from the Caucasus, if you can cut them off from their industrial heartland, from their energy base, from their oil base, then the entire country. That's why what's called the Volgograd Gap is a, it is ex Russians. That's why Hitler was trying to do this so much. But what people need to do is yes, we understand the scale of Stalingrad. Two million soldiers and civilians dead within a period of six months. The largest and bloodiest, and everyone's starving the entire time. Hitler had ordered the Luftwaffe to go in and level the entire city. They're fighting in the ruins. Everyone's starving. There's the famous movie uh, by Jean-Jacques Hannault, The uh, Enemy at the Gates, which was the first movie he made after seven years in Tibet about the silly sights of, uh, and the sniper duel between the German uh, sniper played by Ed Harris and Jude Law plays Vasily Saitsev, one of the most famous Russian snipers of all time, one of the most famous snipers of all time in general. The entire river ran blood red in Stalingrad, largest battle in human history, bloodiest battle in human history. The fighting that's going on today in the Don River yeah. Basin Go. of Donbass is only a few hours away. It's in that exact same region the Volgograd Gap. That is why this is so significant for the Russians. It's existential for them. It's not existential for us, but it is existential for them. Jack, that's what I want people to make sure they understand, that they understand the history here. The history for people when you're in that part of the world or even China, it's like that history is like yesterday. The Americans don't have no earthy idea of of Operation Barbarossa, of the Russian front. I mean, some of the military hobbyists and some of the aficionados and some of the veterans and even some of the, the young people get really excited about World War II. But generally, 98 percent of the po- of the population of the United States thinks World War II was Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, not 98 percent, but a high percent, Pearl Harbor, D-Day and the Holocaust. You don't understand the scale. And why is that hurting us now in thinking through what's going on? Well, you see Leopard 2 tanks that have the Iron Cross on them, that'll be going across Ukraine, uh, as Anne-Marie Slaughter even said, with that optic with American, she's pro this, with the American tanks going with them. Well, how is that going to set in that part of the world, sir? Look, Steve, in that part of the world, in the Soviet Union, the propaganda movies, the, the, the popular movies, whatever you want to call it, it was always about Germany. It was always about Germany. This is conjuring up the darkest nightmares 
of Eastern Europe to hear that the gray tanks with iron crosses have returned yet again, have returned yet again to confront us, to attack our lands. This, and, and beyond Stalingrad, uh, the occupation of Eastern Europe by Nazi Germany, which of course included Poland, what is today Belarus, parts of Ukraine, and all the way up to, obviously, in, in the South, this was some of the most nightmarish and atrocious uh, warfare and battles. You had, you had children. You had children picking up arms to go after the Nazis. Partisans that were going after the Nazis just be able to defend their families to be able to defend their, their mothers and their sisters and, their, and, and fathers defending their daughters from being raped in front of them. Uh, horrific movies and, and, and accounts that come out of all of this. And, of course, we know that it was in Eastern Europe where the vast majority of the Holocaust was perpetrated. This was that specific land. And so, uh, look, I'm not saying that, you know, that's what's going on today, but what I am saying is, you are tapping into something that I don't think Westerners, specifically Americans, or really quite appreciate just how alarming this is for people in that region. No, it's it's dark. I call it the hungry ghost. Between 1930, and you know this, Jack, in the bloodlands, between 1930 and 1945, 14 million people died of political violence. Not just the yep. warfare that went on. The warfare is another 10. I think it's 25 million to 30, even how they count. But 14 million, the Holocaust, the Holodorm in, in, in Ukraine, where they starved them to death. In Ukraine's like Kansas. They starved them to death. Anyway, we got to bounce, Jack. How do people get to all the shows, all the content? Because with, as well as you know China and the CCP, because you speak Mandarin, you're a Navy intelligence officer, your understanding of geopolitics as part of the world is second to none. That's Jack Posobiec. Jack. How do people get you and get to all your commentary and analysis? I appreciate that, Steve. Thank you very much. So we, it's at Human Events Daily. We do the show every day. It's up on podcast. It's up on Rumble. We're doing a Sunday special all about Ukraine uh, this very weekend. We're going to have your uh, your esteemed colleague, Raheem Kassam, will be on joining us because we have to go back and, and really unpack how this all started and how we got to where we are today from 2013, 2014 to now. Raheem, under my tutelage, Raheem went to Kiev in 2014. Raheem knows the beginning of this as well as, any, or at least the modern part of it as well as anybody. Raheem Kassam was there reporting. He's got an incredible grip, so I can't wait to see that. We'll live stream it. Uh, Jack, thank you so much. Honor to have you on here, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, tomorrow, uh, 10 o'clock, I will guarantee, I'll commit to you one thing. This show will be on fire. So let's get back here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Get a good night's rest, relax, get up, get some great coffee. Boom. We'll hit it at 10 a.m. See you there, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.
Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOMHEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. 